What's going on, coaches? Hopefully everyone is doing well. Uh, I'm really excited. Tomorrow we get to start uh, freshman football camp. So uh, getting to start football. Uh, and then the next week, we'll get to get with our, our varsity and junior varsity. And then school will start and, and football games will be here before you know it. Couldn't be more excited. I'm sure you guys are the same way. If you need anything from us, uh, me or Coach Walls, he'll be getting started soon. Obviously, sooner is a little better than later, but you can always connect with us, look at the videos we're doing, um, ask us questions all over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder has recently launched a full year, 52-week football strength and conditioning program that comes free with any Team Builder free trial. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a full-year, 52-week football strength and conditioning program that, again, is free with any Team Builder free trial. Visit their website and make sure you enter the code RTP to get their 52-week training program and start your 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com, which is T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Joey Garasio. Coach Garasio is the head strength conditioning coach at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Listen as we talk with Coach to get you ready for fall camp with conversations about in-season training, the importance of data in your training, building and maintaining speed and power, and the importance of sharing and learning from one another. You can follow Coach Garasio on Twitter, at Coach Joey G. Hope you guys enjoy. Again, thanks for having me on. My name is Joey Garasio. I'm the head training conditioning coach uh, for Florida Atlanta University in, uh, down here in Boca Raton. Uh, previous to here, I was at Colorado State for two years, uh, serving as one year as a director of strength and conditioning. Prior to that, I spent four years at Ole Miss, working under uh, Paul Jackson, who's now at, actually at Utah State. Uh, learned a ton from him. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience. Got to work with some really, really talented and, and naturally gifted athletes and being able to see football played in the college level at the highest level. I mean, it was, it was an awesome experience. Uh, prior to that, I was at actually a one double A school, Northwestern State in Louisiana. Uh, I was I was the director of sports performance for all seventeen varsity sports. Um, I was there for two years, two and a half years, and uh, prior to that, I was actually a graduate assistant in Northwestern State, uh, and I had a little stint right there where I was at LSU for about a month before I got the head job at Northwestern State, uh, and then. Previous to that, I started my career actually at, at Florida Atlantic, uh, going on now 11 years ago. So uh, times times flew by. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I coached while while I was in college. I coached uh, wrestling, 
uh, at Naples High School. I tried to help out locally in uh, in Sioux Falls, where I actually attended college. I went to the University of Sioux Falls. I got an exercise science degree. Uh, you know, I was just that guy that was a little bit above average as far as athleticism, always trying to take get an advantage. You know, that 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 was my deal growing up in uh in and you know, in high school, fell in love with football, had the opportunity to play some college ball, um, and didn't even know strength and conditioning was a uh, was an option for a career path until I met I went to junior college. I met Dos Remedios out in California, and you know, as soon as I saw what he did. I just knew what I wanted to do. You know, it changed my whole perspective on uh, my outlook on where I wanted to do in my career, where I wanted to go. Uh, and just I've been in it since then. You know, I've been lucky. Uh, you know, I, I figured out what I want to do early and, and I've got a lot of good mentors and got I've had a lot of luck meeting a lot of people that have wanted to help me out. So that's where I'm at today. You know, again, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I, we just wrapped up summer training actually today. And uh, I was just reflecting on what a great summer it's been and how blessed we are to have the kids we have, you know, because without them, we we don't have anything. We don't have jobs, anything. So, you know, I'm just – it's been an awesome experience up to this point in coaching. Coach, who was, uh, who was the coach at Sioux Falls uh, when you were there? I know I was, I was in Augustana for a, a year, and I grew up in South Dakota. So my brother had actually told me at the TFC, he's like, hey, man, I think uh, Coach Garasio uh, played at Sioux Falls. Yeah, so – my first year, uh, Kalen DeBoer was the head coach. Mm-hmm. Chuck Moreau was the D.C. Um, we had an unbelievable run. We won 15-0, won a national championship. Uh, had an opportunity to beat it. You know, we were a little small NAIA school. We had a, we, we went up to North Dakota and put it on them boys in the, do- in the dome. <laughs> um, and it was, it was an unbelievable experience because, you know, I was in junior college for two years, and you really take for granted winning. You know, and, and team camaraderie, and that's when I got to Sioux Falls. Like we had, we had a really good team in my junior college. My my last year we won thirteen and one, made it all the way to the California uh, State Semis. Got knocked off by Mount Sack and Bruce Irvin at the time, and but it was kind of like a whole bunch of mercenaries just playing because they they wanted they wanted to put good tape out. We wanted to get out. You know that was the deal. When I got to Sioux Falls, you just it was a brotherhood. You know it it was it was something different. Something I've never experienced before. And it was, you know, I mean, all the guys looked out for each other. We were a player-led team. You know, it just – it felt like you were connected. And, and it felt like you were obligated to play harder for, for your teammate. And, you know, no matter what level I've ever been at, you know, I've been blessed because I've been – I've been at every level. I've coached high school all the way up from basically, you know, NAIA being D2, D3 to, to 1AA to SEC to, to group of five. It's – the, the success uh, the, the recipe for success is always the same on any team. It's always the same. The, all the great teams that I've ever been a part of have had all the same recipes. You know, it, it leaves clues. And it was cool to be on that, that Sioux Falls team and go 15 and 0. Um, Coach DeBoer ended up leaving. He ended up going to uh, be the OC at Southern Illinois after that year. And then uh, uh, Jed Stugart was uh, my head coach my senior year. And uh, we, we ended up making it back to the national championship. We got knocked off. We ended up losing 10-7. It is what it is. But um, unbelievable run and a whole bunch of unbelievable people. You know, that, that's the biggest thing I take away from it. It was fun to win. It's always fun to win, you know. But to play with guys that just, man, it was just you cared about them. It was a brotherhood. Coach, you think, you know, just looking at your background, you know, playing play Juco ball, you know, being at, at small schools, being at large schools, do uh, you think that kind of helps you? I think, you know, you talk to any strength coach, a lot of them are going to say, man, it's going to be the relationship with the players. You're spending more time with the players than just about any coach. Uh, do you think that that kind of background that you've had, you know, helps you really relate to players and then ultimately find a lot of those connections with players? Yeah, I think I think the first thing that that it really helped me with is is because of how many places I've been. You know, I went to junior. I, I played high school football in Florida. I went to junior college in California. I actually signed with FIU, and then I ended up, you know, in Sioux Falls. And it's I tell people all the time, like the experience of meeting people from uh, different geographical areas, man. Like people are different from different parts of the country. People don't get that, you know. And I feel like. I could connect and talk with a lot of people from different areas because of the fact that, you know, I've lived in all these diverse areas 
and I kind of got an idea where a lot of people come from, you know. Um, so I think that's definitely helped me out. And then, you know, not having, you know, paying for rent and, and having to take loans out that I'm still paying back and, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in junior college and understanding the struggle <laughs> and all that, you know, that, 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 that definitely helps you connect with some kids. You know, uh, a lot of our kids on our team, they, they come from low-income areas. You know, they don't, they don't have a lot. And when you can honestly say, like, I've, like, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And then, you know, it, it's not that you feel sympathy for them, but you, you, you can relate and understand them better. And you can understand why maybe they might be frustrated or maybe they might have a bad attitude that day. So, you know, those are things that definitely have helped me out tremendously. You know, and then junior college, when I played in junior college, I mean, I, we had a team full of kids from everywhere. I mean, we had kids from Alabama, Mississippi, California. I remember we had kids from we had kids from Hawaii. We had kids from Canada. You name it, we had them, and it was it was cool just to get to know other people from different areas, get different perspectives, you know. And, and it definitely helps you out because you know coaching is all about connection. It's all about connection. How do you build trust with players? You know, people take that for granted. Like that's that's. That's why I got into coaching because I love I love mentoring. I love being around the guys. You know, I, I love the environment. Um, and, and I want to be a servant leader. And I want to help people. And, and it starts the first thing you got to do is you got to get to know them and you got to and, and they got to open up to you, which means you got to open up to them and you got to be able to connect. You know, and so all those experiences definitely they definitely helped me out in my coaching career for sure. Coach, I, I, I'd like to kind of pick your brain. I know Coach Walls was over at, um, you know, the TFC and, and got to hear you talk. And uh, he mentioned you had a lot of really uh, good things or, or cool different things for your, your bigs, uh, whether in season or off season that, that Coach Walls explained kind of to me that isn't, you know, necessarily what most bigs in the country are doing. Uh, can you kind of just – Give me a little bit of your philosophy. I'm an offensive line coach. I played offensive line. Um, what's your philosophy with those bigs? Uh, what are you trying to get out of them uh, and, and trying to develop them? What are you trying to to work with those guys? I, I'm just curious because obviously I'm I'm trying to learn and and help the guys I've got as much as possible. Absolutely. So I think I think the first thing is our overarching philosophy period is to create the fastest, more violent, and explosive team in the country. So. No matter what position we look at, I think that's always my end goal. It's not it's not to drive strength and have a whole bunch of power power squires. It's not to run them into the ground. It's it's how can we be violent? How can we be explosive? How can we be powerful? Uh, I think you people they they put philosophies out, but then they don't tend to stick stick to them. And that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. So I, whenever I start a program, that's the first thing I'm looking at. So the one thing I talk about is reverse engineering the game. But like you got to know the demands of the position. You have to know the demands outside of just, okay, well, they play for six seconds and then they got 35 seconds off on average and they play around seven to nine plays in the series. Like it, it, it's one game, but it's a, it's a game of many games. There's so many, there's so much different stress at each position and you have to do a good needs analysis and, and, and a breakdown of what that position is going to need to perform at a high level. So what we did was we looked at, you know, old linemen. We looked at every single position, but we're going to specifically talk about old linemen, which I love working with big guys because if anyone if anyone that knows anything about football understands that offensive, defense, defensive lines win championships. All right, because if you could control a line of scrimmage on defense – and take away the run. And if you could run the ball on offense, you're going to win a lot of games. I don't care what kind of skill players you have. You're going to win a lot of games. And what we looked at was, okay, you know, obviously you're going to have the, the anthropometrics, like height, weight requirements. What are the average height, weight requirements for that we're looking at, right? What do we have on our team? What did we recruit? How far off are we on these things, right? So that's that's the first thing I'm looking at. Okay, so if we recruit a 260-pound lineman at tackle, say right tackle, well, the average tackle on our team is, is 297 pounds. Okay, and the average starting right. tackle in Conference USA is 305. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, what do we need? Do we need to add weight to this kid? Hmm. That doesn't mean hypertrophy and all those things. That means nutritional interventions. Okay, because that's how you add weight to people. You don't add weight to people by prescribing 10 by 10. All right. There's a ton of studies out there 
There's a ton of information out there. You get just as much hypertrophy from a five by five set or an eight by three set, just as you do in those 10 by 10. And you have room to, to do your overarching philosophy and hit my goal, which is to make them powerful and strong versus just tired. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at individual individually. What, what do they need from, from an anthropometric standpoint, right? We can't make nobody taller. We can't make anybody's arms longer. Right. We could try to get in that bucket of, of, of weight, right? Cause it is, it's a game of momentum, mass times velocity. So, those guys, especially up front, they need mass. They need mass. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at the velocity standpoint, all right? And we're going to look at, okay, well, what, what is the overarching basic movements that they're going to that they're going to do? And, and it all revolves around – a lot of it revolves around bilateral, triple extension, hips, knees, ankles. All right? You look at on a down block, on uh, a reach block, any of these, these main blocks, they're coming out their hips. Okay, not fully either. That's what people get – a lot of people get it messed up versus D-line. They're always teaching full hip extension, okay, with, with, which is good. But with O-line, you're not you're – not, you necessarily don't want to come all the way out of your hips because what's D-line going to do? He's just going to drag you to the ground. He's right. going to shuck you. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're training triple extension. We want to make sure that we can move our own inertia. So that's where the strength comes into play. Okay, you have to be strong enough to be able to move your own inertia. So what we look at is, okay, when we're driving strength, what are their what is their vertical jump doing? What is their 10-yard dash doing? What is their 20-yard dash doing? Are we moving the needle where it actually matters? All right, because again, you get to a point of diminishing t- returns with, with, with any general skill that you develop, right? Any athletic quality that's general, you're gonna get to the point of diminishing returns with it. So you have to have a checks and balances system, okay. All right, he squat went up 20 pounds, but his vertical didn't, ju- didn't go up at all, and he's the same body weight. So what do we need to focus on? We need to focus on, on, on more rate of force development. We need to focus on uh, more power development and more accelerated strength and more acceleration, period. That, that's what's going to move that needle in that right direction. So we have assessments that we look at with O-Lyman where we're looking at, um, and, and it's nothing you know crazy or, 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 or scientific like as far as when you look at what we're doing is we're analyzing broad jump. We get a broad jump by, by month or uh, by week. All right. We're going to see where that's at. Um, you know, when we train, we get a lot of testing data. It's just part of testing is training, t- training is testing. So we're going to get 10 yard, 20 yard times on all these big guys, uh, you know, at least once a week, we're going to do a ton of resistance sled work. Why? Because that is a specific power development exercise. Hmm. Okay. We're going to use ranges between, Roughly 60% body weight, all the way up to 100% body weight. We're going to push a ton of sleds. Why? Because when you, you know, people try to match and make specific exercises, and it's just funny because I'm like, you call that a, a specific exercise, but it's not even close. It doesn't even look like any movement they'll do on the field. You know, and I, I, that was one of my big things in my presentations. Like, if it doesn't look close, like, it's not close. It's probably not going to transfer. Like, let's. I'm a guy that likes to dumb things now. Like, I, you know, I think in today's age, everyone's trying to prove how smart they are with all this and, and try to make things more complicated and define right. things with really technical terms. I'm like, dude, let's break this down. Like, all right, they, we got to get better at run blocking. That's something we looked at on film last year. All right, we were undersized. I'm not going to blame COVID, but it is what it is. We were a little bit undersized. We didn't have much time to develop. Our average uh, starting old lineman last year was a sophomore on the field. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, O-linemen, they develop at a, at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're looking, the better O-lines are usually junior and senior led. All right. We were on the side. We were not very strong. We weren't as far as relative uh, to what I believe is strong. So, and, and we can get into what I think is strong later if you would like to get onto that. But I, we weren't strong enough to be powerful. And that's where we suffered with run block. We just couldn't, I remember we, we were in situations where it was fourth and one uh, three times in a season, couldn't convert, got knocked back. So making that a point of emphasis in the offseason, all right, okay, all right, we need to get stronger so we can move our inertia. We need to get more powerful. Once, we, uh, once, we're, once we're at specific strength thresholds, we're going to train concurrently, but then we can move more into specific power development and we can shift to power development. We need to do things that are going to be in the realm of – movement patterns similar to run blocking. So what is that? It's pushing a sled. Hmm. You know, let's, let's again, don't overcomplicate it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put a, a, a water bag over their head and do all this crazy stuff and say I'm getting them better <laughs> at run blocking. No, 
I'm going to put a whole bunch of weight on a sled and I'm going to tell them to engage their hips and then drive that sucker for 10 yards. And then I'm going to give them full recovery up to a minute to almost two minutes. And we're going to turn around and do it again. And we're going to do it up to 10 times in a workout. You can't tell me there's not a better specific exercise to develop run block technique than pushing a heavy sled. Coach, how, I real mean, quick, how, how far do, the, do you have them push? 10 yards. Perfect. 10 yards. That's all we needed to. Exactly. Why, 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 and people ask me why 10 yards. And it's something I talked about in, in my presentation at TFC is like they play, they play in a, in a 10 yard box. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, we did the math with, with our with our GPS, and I think it was like the average old lineman covers like anywhere between twelve to eighteen yards on a given play. That's it, you know. So, you know, everyone out here running, you know, all these temples with these big old linemen and all this. I, I just, I kind of like it, it's kind of put things in perspective for me because I'm like, you know what? That's not far. You know, are we taking? And then you look at, are we taking away? Uh, if we do all this tempo work and all this, this, these longer, extensive conditioning periods with these alignment, are we taken away from the fact that they just need to be sh- power? They need to be trained like a thrower. You don't see throwers running tempos, right? You don't. Right. I, I don't go out to track and see throwers, you know, running curves. It doesn't happen. What are they worried about? They're worried about their event. Now, how do I get them in, in shape? And that's where. I think that we have an advantage is, is we're going to practice skill development. We have an unbelievable player-led team here at FAU. Unbelievable. We're going to do player-led practices. They're going to do one-on-one. They're going to do indie. We looked at our data from the summer on Catapult, and we analyzed our player-led practices versus our spring practices. Our player-led practices accumulated the same amount of volume in 45 minutes less time than our spring practices did and our player load per minute was two points higher than our spring practices were. Meaning, like, a, a, a three is, is average for spring practice on player, a player load per, uh, uh, per minute. In our player load practices, they were at a 5.2. Wow. You know, so when you, when you look at that, it's like, well, what, what's the difference? They took more reps because there was more stuff set up. Not saying that the, we don't need coaches or anything. I don't want it to come off that way. <laughs> but it was more of, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Next rep, next rep, next rep. There wasn't a lot of coaching going on. There wasn't a lot of things going on. It was just, okay, let's rep it, let's rep it, let's rep it. And then you look at the one-on-one periods, and then they, we did team. Now, NCAA rules, you know, I, I wasn't out there, so I didn't see it. But I can imagine that it was an intense period. You know, when you look at the data, and I'm watching, <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, this is insane, you know, because when you boil it down, everyone wants to find this magic for conditioning and conditioning is practice. Playing football. I think people, that's what it is. People forget that, right? I'm trying to get them accustomed to specific circumstances that they're going to have in the game. Well, what is that? What is that? That's practice. That's literally what practice is made for. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can do practice, the better prepared they are for contact practices, which means that the better they're prepared for scrimmages, which means they're better prepared for being in a game. Right? Yeah. People were like, oh yeah, well, I wanna, I wanna, <laughs> I wanna do something, you know, I wanna, I wanna do the remedial version of the sport. And they got all these crazy agility drills. I'm like, bro, just let them play seven on seven. Right? Because yes. if you take pads off, it's already, it's already regressed because there's no contact. Then you put them in, you, you, you take away the line, you take away the fact that, you know, you make it a small side of games. You hear all this research on small side of games, right? That, as it pertains to soccer, but seven on seven is a small side of game, right? It's a, it's a past specific scenario situation. You know what you have. It's not like they're going to go run draw in seven on seven. You know, it, it's past specific or one-on-ones. You know what you're getting. You're getting a pass rush. That's a small side of game. So not only can you develop skill, okay, but now you're also developing the physical uh, uh, capacity to produce powerful, violent, skillful movements over and over and over that are specific to the game of football. And I'm like, it just wrong to me because I, I was sitting in my office in May and I was like, how do we do these drills that are going to mimic football? How are we going to do them? How are we going to do them? And I'm like, 
I was just like, Matt, we just need to play. We just need to play football. Go play football. And what I <laughs> and what I need to do is I need to trust my leaders, mm-hmm. and I need to empower my leaders. Right? We thought everyone talks about culture, this and that. Well, culture is not what I say; it's what they say. Mm-hmm. Right? It's what they do, and and the standards they hold each other to, and the accountability that's on the team. I'm like, what's a better way to get accountability and leadership than to tell my ten, my eleven unit leaders? This is what I need done in this player-led practice. It's on y'all to get it done. Okay. And that's what we did is we gave it to them. And it was, it to me, it was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And, it, and again, for me, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to write in my book and it's, it's permanent for me. You want to get good at the sport, play the sport. All right. You want to be a good old lineman, hit sleds. Okay. Work on your pass set and do one-on-ones all summer. And I guarantee on top of, sprinting and explosive movements in the weight room and ballistic exercise, all that, you'll be a better old mom. Coach, man, I'm smiling from ear to ear. I love it. This is, these are the conversations that Harp and I have all the time. And, and, and honestly, you know, we just don't feel like there's a, a ton of strength coaches out there that are doing it. And if they are, you know, they're, they're not as open as yourself to kind of share, you know, some of these views that, that you're doing. Honestly, you know, and that's, that's why I think Tony asked you to come to TFC you know, it is, I don't want to say, you know, like revolutionary, but it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've learned from people far smarter, far better than at, at this than what I do. So, you know, it's just a testament to, to my mentors, you know. And, and my thing is this, is everyone is always talking about the profession's not going to move forward until everyone, we create a better dialogue, we have less trolls online and all these things. But then no one wants to open up. No one wants to tell what they're really doing. And it's like, you really think that one exercise that you might, like, it's, it, that's going to be the difference between you winning 11 games and, and three games? Like, that's not the difference. That's not. Like, you know, we all profess all the, the community of strength and conditioning. I mean, you got to live that. There's there's nothing new. We're not creating new things. Okay? We're not. Like, you, you go back 40 years and you find any Russian journal, and I guarantee there's going to be something – that's cutting edge now in 2021. <laughs> We're not creating new things. All right. Johnny Parker and, and, and Al Vermeil and all of these guys, man, they were using VBT in the 80s. Okay. They were counting reps and, and doing all these fancy undulating periodization models in the 80s. You know, but people want, again, it, it's people want to prove how smart they are and then they don't want to share but then they're the first ones to jump on you if you try something new and you put it out there. You know, so that, 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 that always bothered me. I'm like, this is – I feel obligated to help other people. Even if, even if you don't agree with me, I'm going to put it out there, and I, I don't care if you like it or not because that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. All right. But I feel obligated because so many people in my career have helped me along the way. You know, so if I could add value to anybody by, okay, hey, you know, someone told me the other day, like, uh, the video you you one of my videos that they put out they showed their football coach and now they changed something in their program, like that was an ultimate compliment to me. Like I was I was blown away. I was humbled. I was like that's that's crazy that just by me putting a video out I could have that type of impact on on, on someone's program and help somebody, you know. So, and that's 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 what it's about is helping, being a servant leader, helping people around you. Help, you know. I tell people all the time, you know, and, and Coach Waltz, you you know this because I said at the conference I said. I put my contact information up there and I said, I tell everyone, take my contact information down and hit me up. If you want to talk, cause I'm probably going to, I'm going to learn a lot from y'all too. Hit me up. All right. You're not going to call me and, and get like a, Oh, what do you need type conversation? It's going to be, you know, I hate that. Cause that's happened to me before I get all excited. I write someone's number down after a conference, you call them and it's like, Oh yeah, I got five minutes. Oh, okay. Coach. Thanks. You <laughs> know. Let me not let me make sure I, I just not delete your number out of my phone because that's you know that's not what it's about. You know, I tell people all the time it's about helping people. If you if you really are a coach, you got into it because you're a servant leader. You're here to add value to other people around you. How do you do that? Like with me, I feel like I that I got some good ideas and I like to share my ideas. You know, and sometimes I share ideas and people are like, that's stupid. And then I look at it and I'm like, yeah, that is stupid, but at least it was a conversation. You know, you got to be able to put yourself out there, be vulnerable a little bit. You know, that's that's what I never got. I was like, scrutiny comes with, with innovation. Like, that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it happens, especially when you make innovation public. You know, but it to Peter to me that it's it's the ego driven, sensitive people that, you know that that just absolutely cringe when they get scrutiny and then they don't put anything out and they're very reserved. And, but then they go and talk bad about people. I hate that. It was pet peeve of mine. Well, we're certainly glad that you're, uh, you're so willing to share and, uh, you know, kind of segueing into the next question I had was, you know, talking about helping, you know, players. It's, it's one thing for you guys, you know, to, to gather data. And it's just, you know, you'd always say it's the out, right. It's, it's the data. That's the output. Okay, cool. Well now how do we, fix the output how do we make the output better and i loved how you talked about how you know you guys timed all of these different movements you know because to me again you know and again tfc we're all about timing we're all about speed we're all about powder when i when i put a time on a movement i, I now know how to fix it right he doesn't have enough explosive power he doesn't have enough elastic power um i loved your story about you know the the player in one-on-one -on -one pass rush hey man your first step out of your pass that's a 0.5 the d line's coming off at a 0.38 that's why you're getting beat Here's some ways to fix that. I just, I love that aspect of being able to give a kid feedback, be able to give coaches feedback and data, and then being able to quote reverse engineer, like you said, the solutions to fixing those problems. Yeah. I mean, it also creates buy-in. I think that's a, a, a piece that's missing in this is, is when you, when you give them data and then you show progress, you win that kid over automatically, you know, you, that kid's going to do whatever that, you know, I get, I get kids here and we show their fly 10 times go down. Like we have a kid from, we have a safety from Georgia and he, he's been here about seven weeks. He went from, uh, I think like a 104, like a 0.99 is fly 10. And now it's like, you know, when I talk to him, it's eyes are wide open, staring me in my face, listening to every cue I have, you know, where at first it was, you know, yeah, I'm listening to coach, but I'm not listening, you know, or what, what do you mean? I, I know how to run, you know, that, that type of deal. And, and the buy-in is huge because then when you get that buy-in and, and you can execute so much, so much more skillfully, you know, because now you could coach them at a higher level. You know, you can get into different things and, and, and pull them aside and, and talk to them. And now they're listening more. And that, right at the end of the day, that's all we want our kids to do is to listen. I mean, how many times do we fight that battle? Hey, are you listening? Cut your eyes. All, you know, it's like, it's the funniest thing. It's a simple <laughs> skill, but you know, in, in today's day and age, it's it's a lost art. People, kids kids don't listen. Kids don't listen. So to get them to listen, that means to get them to buy into what you're doing. Um, and I think the intent behind it, you know, you, you obviously, coach Coach Hollers taught blue in the face with this, with this concept. But the competition and the intent, competition drives intent. You know, we we call it riding the wave. Well, so we'll get into a fly ten. Uh, you know, we'll start running fly tens, and one kid will pop a nine three or nine four. And then the next kid is going to pop a 9-3. The next kid pops a 9-5. The next kid pops a 9-7. My players, they, they coined it riding the wave. Like, they just want to keep getting better. They want to beat the time. They, I mean, they got side bets over here on who's running what. You know, they got push-ups on the side and all that. They make it fun. They make it interesting. But the intent behind it, it just goes through the roof. You know, it's like we introduced VMAXs in our weight room uh, in the end of spring. Our squat max – on average, went up 20 pounds uh, for the team. It's it's not that my program changed that dramatically. It was now all of a sudden they had this feedback or, okay, well, coach, what speed you want us to today? And that's what we talk about. I'm like, I want y'all at 0.6. If you ain't hitting 0.6 today, you're, you're being a slap dick. Let's go. You got to hit 0.6. Let's get this thing going. Let's get this thing flying. Right? And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're hitting the same percentages. They're hitting similar volumes. But now all of a sudden their squat numbers are going through the roof. Well, what's changed? It was the intent. It was the focus. It was, it was the neural drive, mm -hmm. right? It was acceleration of the bar. So, you know, it's, it's definitely benefited us big time. And, you know, it, it's a huge staple in my program, right? Everyone talks about, hey, let's – every football coach in America is like, we got to have a competitive team. We need to create competitive environments. Well, how do you do that if, if they don't know what they're doing? How do they, how, you know, if, oh, hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run and we're going to do 20s, but you don't time the 20s. Like, how, how was that competitive? You know, or we're going to do vertical jumps or we're going to jump. He jumps higher than you. You're just going to say it versus measuring it. Like, if I know that guy jumps 36 and I have the capabilities of out jumping him, like, that's going to motivate me as a competitor to try to beat him, you know? Uh, and then, like you said, driving, it, 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 
it's crazy to think that football coaches operated without all this information prior. Okay, because I look at it like this. Is every every time I give my coaches the player profiles, it's essentially like a scouting department in the NFL giving the coaches all the information from the combine. Like, they're not going to go get, get a guy in the first round unless they have every single piece of information on that guy. Like, so what's the difference in college? The difference in college is I have more accessibility to these kids, and I can test them, I can test them all the time because we have the means to do it in training. So you can know the ins and outs of that kid athletically, you know, and, and understand, okay, you know what? Maybe this kid's not a kickoff guy. He's a 105 in the fly 10, all right? He's not a kickoff guy. Let's not put that kid in that situation. You know, or maybe you're like, well, why is this kid successful even though he doesn't seem that fast? Well, coach, he is the second fastest snake run on the team. He bends well. He he maneuvers his, his, his center of mass around his base of support better than anybody on the team. You know, so giving the coaches as much information as possible so they can make better educated decisions on personnel is huge. Is huge. And then you talk about, I tell, I tell young coaches all the time, you're not just winning the players over. Like, that's the first priority is to get buy-in from the players and show them progress so they truly buy into your program and they know they're getting better. Because that feeling of getting better, that confidence is unmatched. All right, the second thing you got to do is you got to prove to the coaches that your stuff's working. You know, I've been I've been a, a part of programs where, you know, coaches kind of side-eyed us a little bit. And they're like, oh, is it really working? Is it not working? And, and when you don't have the data, put you in a tough spot. It puts you in a tough spot because at some point in time, no matter how good you think you're going to be, you're going to start losing a little bit. And the one thing I learned as a coach is you don't want that finger coming back at you. <laughs> you, you don't want it coming back at you. You know, I want to check my box. I'm like, hey, coach, you know, hey, maybe it's your coverage. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's something else. I don't know because I, I you know, we gained 15 pounds on average in that secondary and everybody's running four fours now. You know, like, but, you know, you, you want you want to be – you want confidently to say you're doing your job. You know, I talked about that at TFC as well. I was mm -hmm. like, how do you – how do we get evaluated as strength coaches? How do you get evaluated? I mean, to me, it's it, – it's, do you enhance them athletically, specifically to their sport? That's that's how we get evaluated. So I want I want coach to look at all those numbers. I want coach to, be, you know, ask me, how come our squats didn't go up more? How come – how come these body weights in this specific position group aren't going up? I want him to ask those questions. That's how I want to be evaluated versus like, oh, hey, your 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 juice levels were down yesterday. Like, what does that even mean? You know, like, hey, you're a culture guy. Like, uh, we got to work on our culture. What does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, that to me, those are, those are objective. You, how do you measure that? You know, and really, is it the main purpose of my job? No, the main purpose of my job is to enhance them athletically. All right. And to make them be able to adapt and thrive in their sport. That's what that's my main job is. And I think when you provide that data, it definitely allows you to do that. It allows you to show coach like, hey, what we're doing is working. Or, hey, coach, you know, we, we made improvements here. That was the spring. We made improvements here in one area. I told coach, coach, we got to get better here. And that's on me. I'm mean, going to get it done. You know, but how do you make those audits? How do you how do you audit your own program if you don't know what's going on in your own program? You got to test. You got to test. It drives me crazy when people don't test. Speaking of some of your testing, Coach, um, there was a, an image that came out, I believe, from TFC, um, and, and I would love for you to kind of explain it to me because I know Walls was fired up about it, and I just wasn't I wasn't there, but also um, I'm just not not the smartest guy in the world. But um, it was a, and maybe Walls can help me explain it to you because I know you know what it is. Uh, but it, it's a big, long, like. Uh, and I got it right here, a big long line and you've got arrows going up and arrows going down and like um, hurdle jump drop. And then there's the arrow up and an arrow down close to it is a corner route step. And it's got 0.22 on the, uh, on the corner route step. And, and at the very bottom, it shows elastic power, explosive power all the way to uh, maximum strength. Uh, are you are you aware of of the of the slide or the the image that I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Could, so, could you, so what would happen? Could you was, explain that to me? Yeah, because I, I I was really interested in it. I just wasn't smart enough to pick it up by myself. So what we did was is we got a whole Derek Hansen put out a, a diagram probably maybe a year year and a half ago, and what it was was it was ground contact 
times of different just general athletic movements. So it had like the pronotial step of a, of a high jump. It had it had change of direction. It had uh, the first step in its in a sprint. The third step in a sprint. Um, all these things, right? It had top speed. It had all these different ground contacts, and it showed as a continuum one from left to right. So from fast to slow, the the athletic attribute contributing to these these ground contact times. So I started filming our guys, having our interns film our guys doing sports specific movements. And I have Darfish on my phone and I'm sitting there and I was messing around. I was like, you know what? Let me let me look at ground contact times of, of some of these guys specific football movements. You know, and it just turned into a rabbit hole. It turned into a rabbit hole because it was like, all right, now I need to film every guy doing everything possible. And we need to get average ground contact times or average time of movement on these football specific movements. So what you'll see is like, so like you look at all that chart that we put out, it's like a kick slide, the first step on a kick slide. So push off to if I'm if I'm a left tackle. So from push off on my right foot to uh, the landing on my left foot. Right. We looked at we looked at that 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 movement expression, that time, that time period. Right. We found out that it was the, the elite ones, Laramie Tunsil, the, the the Pro Bowl left tackles, they're doing it anywhere between 0.27 and 0.35, which is ridiculous. It's insane. Okay. Then we found out that our average guy was right around four five or like four to four five, point four to point four five. Um and what was eye-opening about all of these things, finding out all these different time movements and expressions of these movements, was how fast everything actually is occurring. All right, even a run block. So you look at a down block. You know, everyone thinks that blocking is a slow, like grind them out type event. A down block we found, uh, on average, our guys are engaged in a down block in uh, in point four seconds. Okay, so less than half a second. They're engaged in a down block, sealing whatever side it is, a successful down block. That's what we looked at when we, what we found film. And we're like, that's insane. That's, I mean, that's fast. And then when we looked at, okay, what about a pull, right? Because, oh, yeah, a pull is going to be slow. We found that an average pull from snap of the ball to contact was between 0.7 and 0.9. It's still less than a second. All right. So when you look at, at, at what what transfers as far as training wise, you have to match time parameters. OK. I had a, a video of a squat in my presentation. All right. It was a uh, it was I think it was like 75 or 80 percent. So it wasn't even a one rep max. And the timestamp on the squat was one point nine seconds. All right. One point nine. OK. So when people say, hey, we're getting stronger in squat, we're going to be better at football, you're missing the key element that's going to bridge strength to specific skill development and skill execution, which is especially on the O-line, which is going to be power. And that's what it really showed us is, is a lot of these movements that are on the field that are happening are in the same time brackets as the second pull of a clean a barbell jump, a trap bar jump, a med ball toss, uh, a violent um, broad jump, a resisted broad jump. Uh, we do sled uh, sled broad jumps, which I think is one of the best exercises you could do for an old lineman. Um, a five-yard sprint, a 10-yard sprint. They're all in those time brackets versus in deadlift time bracket or a squat time bracket. And then what it really made me realize is, is – how important elasticity and reactive strength is to all these things. Hmm. All right. So we think just because you're big, oh, yeah, you just need to be a big, strong dude. I watched Laramie Tunsil kick slide, and that's that's a plyometric exercise. You know, you're I right. mean, you, t- you, you talk about how fast he's in and off the ground. That mimics hurdle hops as far as ground contact times. So you're not going to sit here and tell me that it's because he's strong because I coached Laramie. He never squatted over 500 pounds. <laughs> Okay, it's it's not because he's strong. It's because he's stronger in that time bracket than the guy that's in front of him. It's not not it's not about being the absolute strongest guy. It's about being the strongest guy 
in the amount of time given to you. You know, so that's where, you know, you, you look at explosive strength deficit or dynamic strength index is a, it should be a main driver in all football development, meaning, you know, how power, like, again, is your power increasing with your strength? Because that's all explosive strength deficit is. Okay, is is your power increasing with your strength? What's the difference between your power number and your strength number? All right, because if your strength number is climbing through the roof, but your power number is not coming up, that guy is not that 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 attribute is not transferring to whatever given skill you're trying to get them to do on the field. It's not going to happen. It's not. And then what we found out too is is as far as training goes, is as you move further away from the line, the the, the faster things happen, the less the faster the ground contacts are. So that's where sprinting becomes way more of a priority. That's where high intense plyometrics become way more of a priority. That's where specific change of direction and agility drills become way more of a priority because they're happening at such a faster rate to where when you move towards the end, closer to the line, it's more power driven. It's not strength driven, it's power driven. Does that make sense with that chart? Yes, yes, it absolutely does. And, and so and it, it actually kind of brought me to um, my next question, which was, I think you just put it out yesterday, and it was the back squat um, in relation in the correlation uh, to, to 20 times. And, and it had a few other things. Um, and then I didn't understand what all those numbers were, but but what was that? what what did that correlation? Uh, show from that picture that you had shown. Like to me, what what the picture was saying was like uh, your back squats didn't have that much to do with your increase in twenty times. But I, I could have been way off with that. That's why I was excited to ask you today. Yeah. So it's not that they didn't have anything to do with it. It's just that the the relationship between the two, the, those two, so twenty yard and a back squat, isn't as high. Has a lot other uh, a lot more training modalities. It had, it had okay. honestly, it was it was the least huh. mm-hmm. in what we analyzed. So we went down another rabbit hole. My my assistant Jake Beckett, um, he got this idea. He was like, yeah, I, he's like, he's like, how much do you think back squat has to do with with running a fast twenty? And I was like, I, I do this to my assistant all the time. I say, I don't know. Go find out. You know, go <laughs> figure it out. And lo and behold, about three hours later, he comes running back to me. Right. And he had a sheet of paper and he was like, all right. He's like, this is what it is versus this. He's like, it's like it's a, a decent correlation. So anything over 0.5 is a, a decent correlation. OK, but the higher up closer to one, the higher the correlation is. So when you look at back squat, relative back squat, because we did relative, meaning so you, we took their, their maximum squat, the one RM divided by their body weight. Um, and we looked at their, their laser 20 yard. It was at a 0.479 was the correlation. All right. It, it's pretty high, but it's not as high as, as some of the other numbers we're getting. So, like, we looked at, all right, our fly 10s and our cleans was at a 0.7, 0.78. All right. Well, why is that relationship? What, it, again, it's not causation. It's just connection, right? It's correlation. It's, it's not causation. But what can you make off that? You can infer that, okay, well, rate of force development is more prominent in Olympic lifts. Maximum speed, when you're at maximum velocity, it requires a ton of rate of force development. Okay, so hence, maybe that's why there's a higher correlation. Um, but versus some of these other ones that we found were just, were, were insane. It's like, okay, our vertical jump correlated higher to our maximum speeds, mm-hmm. our, our fly tens. Well, why? Because running at maximum speed, at maximum velocity, is more, there's more vertical force involved then acceleration, where it's more horizontal force, which showed that our broad jumps, actually, the numbers backed it up, our broad jumps correlated better to our acceleration. Well, it makes sense because it's vector-specific, meaning it's angle-specific, right? Where I'm pushing, I'm pushing back behind me in acceleration, where I'm pushing down at maximum velocity. So, again, vertical impulses, pushing down, going up, that's a vertical jump. That's going to correlate higher. But, yeah, so it, we just went down a rabbit hole and it got to the point where it started becoming absurd because now I got a list of about 70 things that correlate. <laughs> and, and we're just looking. So the next step is to, is, is to look at the linear or, or the regression. So, okay, like if I get to a certain point, so say if I get this guy to this point, it's going to improve this guy. It should hypothetically increase this guy to a certain extent in this exercise or this thing. 
But, you know, it's, it, it, and again, this is not new because uh, Bondarchuk from Russia, he, he wrote a book called Transfer Training, and he's, he did this in, in the 70s. You know, he looked at snatch, compared, so he looked at uh, one rep snatch and the correlation to sprinting and throws and all these other things. So, again, we're not, re, we, we didn't reinvent anything here, but it was cool to see practical evidence in our own program with our own data suggesting what we're, what we're what I talk about in my presentation what my philosophy is is that in order to be powerful and fast you have to do explosive and violent things you can't just sit here and say that we're going to do these grind them out slow methodical things and they're going to have high correlation and uh and high transfer to these fast violent things that's not how it works so you have to have that gap you have to have that bridge to that gap which is going to be those powerful explosive movements. Cause I, I mean, we can't make a correlation to, I mean, we can technically now. Okay. So your vert went up or your broad went up. So technically your kick slide, your first step should be faster. That would be the next step in that evolution of, of, of what we're trying to do. And again, that's, we're still a long ways off because we got to figure out how to do that. But I would see that would be like the next part of it. Like, okay. Like, if you're broad, if you're a big guy and you broad jump nine feet, there's a good chance that you're going to kick slide and get that first step down at 0.35. Mm-hmm. And if you get it down at 0.35, you're being that D lineman to the spot. You have a really good chance of winning every one on one. That's what I like about it. I mean, that was the question I was going to ask. You know, because again, you know, we're we're kind of an offensive line uh, podcast, but you know, thinking of all of those, you know, correlations that you guys had found, you know, movements for an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman are probably going to be very, very horizontal specific, right? R- rarely are they getting to absolutely to, to max speed. So again, when you're thinking about training economy and doing the things that are going to be smart, let's find the highest correlations, you know, and obviously it's going to be very, very explosive and powerful movements, but also then given us, you know, many, many sets of data to find out where this guy is struggling. And we can all of a sudden now find the exercises to clean him up. Is that because I mean I've I've had the kid that can squat, you know, I have a I have a kid that can squat 550 pounds and he still jumps 19 inches. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what's you know, am I gonna keep chasing that rabbit of a 600 pound squat or hey man, let's A, let's get a little bit leaner. So let's let's look at nutritional interventions and then B, man, let's let's just work rate of force development and power with you. And then let's be plane specific. Like you said, like you hit it on the head. Like let's let's work in a, a lot of horizontal specific explosive exercises. So let's get on that sled. Let's let's pull sleds. Let's pull chains. Let's 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 get on some broad jumps. You know, let's get maybe maybe some some uh some more uh horizontal emphasis bounds if you can handle it. You know, everyone thinks big guys are these big fragile creatures. Nah, it's what prescription of volume of plyometrics are you giving them? That's that's going to be the key. They can handle low doses. You know, so I look at things like that, and, and I think with all the, the amount of information you have, I think you hit it on the head. You could definitely be more specific in your programming for kids. Not that it's going to be individual, but you can definitely mailbox kids. You're going to see similar kids, similar deficiencies in, in kids. Right? So, again, I get that kid. Maybe I got six of those guys. Maybe I changed three or four different things for them. Not wholesale the program, but three or four different things, right? Meat and potatoes is going to be the same, but maybe maybe the sauce on top of the steak's a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know? And now, all of a sudden, you take that kid, okay, and now maybe his broad jump goes up four inches, and you watch him on tape, and he's, he's a way better run block, you know? And that might have been the difference, you know, that little bit, little bit push. I was talking about leaving none the chance. I won't leave any the chance. My shelf life is three years as a head strength coach at a Division One university, at a given university. That's what my shelf life is. That's what the average hire and fire rate is right now. It's about three years. Like, I'm not about to leave anything to chance. If I can improve that kid even 1%, like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and find a way to do that. You know, like, I'm going to put the time and effort to figure that out because, you know what, that 1% may be – uh, a, a great uh, down block in a game that seals a corner that leads to a touchdown that wins us a conference championship. Saves my job, you know. Coach, I'm curious, and this is this is not a fair question, and I'm sure there won't be a great answer for it because there's so many things that, that you 
could answer this and and I'm sure there's a whole system behind what you'd rather do but uh today I just got asked by our our we got a new strength and conditioning guy that he's also a, a coach but he's doing that as well and this is kind of his first year and and he said hey off season you know in the past we've always just done kind of our four cores because we don't have much time and, and then we get out I'd like to do a one or maybe two things specific for offensive line if you have anything he's like well what would you like to do for the offensive line in season kind of a lift or an activity for him during workouts I didn't really have an answer for him um if you could have one thing that you were doing with your offensive line in season as a as a high school guy maybe most bang for your buck but also not to to you know have them have them ready to go for practice what would that be or or can you give any guidance on that? Yeah, I think in season, you got to kind of look at what's going to aid and maintain the skills you develop in the offseason. Obviously, that's a generic answer. Uh, but I think the one thing that you have to do is you have to keep their, their explosive attributes high. You know, um, and I, I think, that you know, honestly, the more, the more I've done this and, and the longer I'm in this field, the less volume you have in the in-season training, the better as far as when it pertains to weight room or any of these things. Because you, if you can save them, I mean, we're getting the volume from the practice. Right. Okay. Now, I'm not saying there needs to be an absence of lifting. I definitely am not saying that. But I also know that the residual effect for strength is like 30 days. So something that we've definitely been playing around with is rotating every three weeks a heavy loaded week. All right. So the first thing I would say is, is figure out how much actual specific strength work they need in season. All right, plan it around bye weeks, plan it around lesser opponents if you have them, if you have that luxury. If you don't, I'm sorry, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and then I would say attack explosive lifting. Attack attack power cleans, attack snatches, attack med ball tosses, uh, box jumps, different things of that nature. Not with a, a ton of volume because they don't need it, mm-hmm. but attack it and drive rate of force development and power development. All right, drive it because that's that's what makes them good players. I mean, there's a ton of research on the fact that the separation between good players and bad players or starters and non-starters is their explosive ability, mm-hmm. you know? And we're, we're, we're first like, oh, yeah, you know, well, they're going to get in and practice. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say practice practices are dull, but, I mean, realistically, how much how many times are they just giving out? A hundred percent odd intent, all out effort on a block. I know that if we do a clean, I'm gonna get it. So I at least could I could go to sleep soundly knowing, okay, like well, we're maintaining and reinforcing power output. That's what we're doing. Right there and then. You know. Also, you know, maybe looking into I know that they do a lot of sled specific work or line work, but lighter five to 10 yard sled push or sled ex- or sled toes would be another one. Okay. Would be another one because again, you're attacking that explosive ability. It's not too taxing. If you get four of them at five yards, again, you're just, you're just giving them that stimulus hmm. to maintain or even grow it as the season goes on, which is what you want to do. You don't want to get, you don't want, I mean, the nature of practice is long and drawn out and fatiguing in nature. Okay, so you give them something, and we expect them to still be the same explosive athlete when it's all of that. If you go give them a, a stimulus like that, say right after warm-up, just quick, or but even, even before warm-up, here you go, or in a workout period, you know, you're still, still maintaining that power output. You're still maintaining that explosive ability and probably gaining some, especially in those younger athletes, as the season goes on, Right. You want to be the most powerful, violent team in November, not in September. <laughs> I mean, it's great to be in September. Everyone's, everyone feels good in September. But it's about being there in November, being explosive, being powerful, feeling good, right? When you train at 60% low, but you're moving fast, it's, you're not going to get completely beat up. But you're going to go ahead and tap into, you know, that neural impulse, that neural drive. Coach, you talk about, you know, the in-season, you're thinking of going to the to like a three-week rotation. Well, we, we've done some of that. Um, what do you think for like percentages then? So you're thinking, you know, hey, that third week is going to be more like strength-driven. Um, 
what do you think in percentages for like a power clean? Is that going to be more like a 60, 65, someplace in there to really, really drive home? Hey, this bar is going to move really, really fast. Yeah. So, you know, Coach Moffitt put me on to this. Coach Moffitt's at LSU. He told me, you know, I was talking to him about his, his 2019 run when they won the national championship. And I was like, whoa, what'd you do differently in season? Because your guys just look, I mean, they just look fast. Super You know, fast. they look at these uh, the, the whole year. You watch them versus Clemson, and it's like Clemson was in slow motion. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I asked him, and he goes, well, we spent 90% of our training year at around 60%. Love it. And he's like, what we worried about was bar speed and intent. And he's like, the funny thing is, when we did that, all of our one rep maxes went up. So I was like, okay, all right, that's definitely, that's going to change my theory. And then last year, last year, I almost, I I removed, I put a chart out there. I removed so much volume from our end season training. And just when I had to go heavy, it was for one to two reps. Yep. That's it. It was one to two reps. Okay. We were the same. Everyone, everyone wants to live and die by prevalence chart or by Soviet research on, on, on rep accumulation. And my thing is this, A, those guys were not playing football, running, or sprinting at the time of those, those volumes. <laughs> and B, okay, they were hopped up on so much test, okay? <laughs> it, 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 their recovery patterns were probably cut in half versus what my kids are getting. Exactly. All right. And they're Olympic athletes. So they're going in, they're going in the saunas, they're taking naps in the day, they're doing all these different things. My guys are going home eating Doritos and playing Call of Duty until 4 in the morning. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I love how people love to die and buy that. So what we did was we cut volume way down. I'm talking about way down. And I just try to stay in that magic range, you know, 70 to 90%, anywhere in between there, and be as creative as possible with my rep prescription and my uh, intensity prescription throughout the year. And I just knew, okay, every – Two or three weeks, I need to climb to about 80, 85, 90. And we, we just hit it. Like, we, there's days we walked in, all right, you're going to hit you're gonna hit two by two on clean at 70. You're going to go one by one on 90 on, on squat. You're going to get your Nordics. You're going to get backward. Get out. Mm-hmm. Done. 20 minutes. See you later. You know, and I look at, you know, once we got in season, I mean, we – minimal injuries – you know, as far as ligament tendons, we only had one soft tissue injury all year. Uh, a hamstring that cost a guy half a game. And really it was because we're playing Marshall in 40-degree weather and we got a bunch of Florida cats and the kid didn't go into the third quarter. End of, you know, <laughs> with no warning. That was the worst part. I was like, oh, you got to go. <laughs> Get out there. But, uh, you know, to me now, it's it, I, I might, I'm probably going to end up staying even a little bit lighter as far as intensity goes. My volume prescription is definitely going to be light. It's going to be light, and we're going to hit what we need to hit, and that's it. You know, I mean, my receivers, I mean, do they need to come in and hit 90 on squat? I mean, is that really that important? Or can I find another way to maintain strength levels without beating them up? You know, they're getting 7,000 yards of practice. Do I really want to bring that kid in and do a three-by-five at at 60 or 70% on squat? I I mean, to me, that just doesn't make sense. It's not a good idea. Absolutely not. Well, Coach, this has been uh, an unbelievable hour. Obviously, it flew by. I know Coach Walls and, and I wish this could go for a lot longer, uh, but but want to respect your time. Um, we really, really appreciate you coming on here uh, and talking. And, and it's just something that we don't get from very many people. Uh, and it's completely different than than the strength coaches that that I had when I was playing. And, and I thought I was at a really good program. I, I actually... I don't think I was any faster or, or any more explosive uh, from day one that I got there until maybe the last day. And we, we, we were conditioning all the time because we were an air raid run around all the time and, and in the middle of Houston. And so we were conditioning and I think every single year and probably was my fault, but every year when it was play 13 of the drive, it didn't really matter what we had done all summer. I was pretty gassed. Um, and so uh, never really made a ton of sense to me, but love hearing what you're doing with, with the bigs, especially um, because I'm always trying to steal that and trying to make my guys as great as they possibly can. So we really appreciate it, Coach. Thanks for, for giving us an hour of your time. Uh, Coach, I appreciate y'all. I mean, you're trying to move the profession in a, 
in a progressive nature. I mean, I'm just humbled to be on the podcast and that y'all would want to hear me babble for an hour, to be honest with you. It blows my mind. People like hearing me talk. <laughs> I'm just, uh, <laughs> again, I'm, 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 I'm humbled to be on here. And I want to, and again, thank you guys for what y'all do. Because again, I mean, the, you guys putting yourselves out there, getting people on here to talk, share ideas. That's what it's all about. Coach, man, like I said, uh, awesome to meet you there. Uh, super impressed, you know, with with the uh, the message you had. And then, uh, you know, the other thing I'll say is, you know, there's a lot of presenters and a lot of coaches that'll go to something and, you know, maybe they, they diva up and they go get something to eat and they hang out. That, that was the the opposite of you. You went to every session. You went to learn things. You asked questions. Uh, and, and you were being the, the lifelong learner as well. So much respect to you and the way you carry yourself and, and the way that you're uh, so willing to, to get better and share, man. It's guys like you who are, who are genuinely, I think, going to move the profession forward. I'm super excited to see where it goes. Well, Coach, I appreciate that. And I, I want to thank y'all for putting it on, putting the clinic on. It was first class. I, not, I mean, it was one of the best clinics I've been to, and it was because of the operations. I mean, you guys did a hell of a job putting that clinic on. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.